In the Gospel of St. Luke, we are told that at the time of the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel made known to Mary that her aged cousin Elizabeth was now in the sixth month with child, for nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, is the precursor of our Lord, born six months before the Savior of the world. John the Baptist, you recall, out of his humility, said that he must decrease and Christ must increase. The fact that Christ increases and John decreases is manifested in the liturgical cycle of the church's year. We are preparing now for the celebration of Christmas, December the 25th. We know that at this time, after the winter solstice, the sunlight in our northern hemisphere begins to increase, for Christ must increase. There is a feast honoring the birth of John the Baptist, which is held on the 24th of June, the summer solstice. It is at that time in our hemisphere that the sunlight begins to decrease, and we are reminded of the words of the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of only three whose birthdays are honored. When saints such as Francis Xavier, Ignatius of Loyola, have a feast, that feast approximates the day of their death, the day when they entered into heaven. We do not honor their births. Why? Because when they were born, they were born just as we were with original sin. That, of course, does not hold in the case of Christ, the sinless one, nor in the case of his mother, whose birth we celebrate September the 8th. Nor, finally, does it obtain with John the Baptist, for we know that when John was in the womb of his mother, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, leaped in her womb, acknowledging the presence of Christ in the womb of Mary. Today in the Gospel, John the Baptist, the precursor of our Lord, is put before our mind's eye. He is now in prison because he has dared to rebuke Herod, for Herod has taken the wife of his brother Philip. John the Baptist will be a martyr proclaiming the sanctity of marriage. While John is in prison, he sends to our Lord two messengers. And these are to ask Christ, are you he who is to come, or do we seek for another? Now the words, are you he who is to come, reminds us 
that the Jews had received from God through their prophets the announcement of the coming of the Messiah who would redeem them. We know from our cursory reading of the New Testament how lively the expectation of the Messiah was during the days of our Lord. The Samaritan woman who conversed with Christ at the well said to him that when the Messiah came, he would make all things known to them. On that occasion, Jesus revealed himself to her as the Christ, the one who was expected. We know also from St. John's Gospel, chapter 6, that after our Lord fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish, many in the crowds cried out, Will the Messiah, when he comes, work more miracles than this man has worked? I am reminded of one of the many prophecies in the Old Testament, which certainly crossed the minds of pious people who were contemporaries of our Lord. You find it in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, verses 8 to 10. The patriarch Judah, or rather the patriarch... <clears throat> Jacob, when he was about to die, made prophecies for all of his sons. And his prophecy to his fourth son, Judah, is this, that the scepter will not pass from Judah until he who is to be sent comes, and he will be the expectation of the nations. The tribe of Judah rose to prominence after the people of Israel had been brought to the promised land from their 400 years of servitude in Egypt. David, the second king, belonged to the tribe of Judah and all of his descendants in the southern kingdom, in the kingdom of Jerusalem, where it's direct lineal descendants and consequently exercised the power of Judah. But by the time that our Lord was born, Palestine was a tributary of Rome. In fact, the puppet king, Herod, was not a Jew. He belonged to a desert race called the Edomians. It was at this time that the scepter was passing from Judah. Now John the Baptist, when he sent the disciples to inquire, did so not for himself, for he realized that Christ was the expectation of the nations. After all, on one occasion he pointed to our Lord and said to a few of his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. 
And at the time of our Lord's baptism, John recognized Jesus for the one who was sent. And on that occasion, he said to Jesus, It is rather for you to baptize me than I to baptize you. But our Lord put him at ease, telling him it was the will of God that he should continue with the baptism. And at the end of it, he saw the heavens open and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descend upon our Lord. He also heard the words from the Eternal Father, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John is unshaken in his conviction that Jesus is the one who is sent. Why does he send disciples? You know also, from a cursory reading of the New Testament, that there was a rivalry between the disciples of John and those of our Lord. In the third chapter of St. John's Gospel, for example, we are told that certain disciples of John reported to their master that he whom you baptize, namely Jesus, is now baptized, and he is baptizing many more than you have done. John realizes that the fidelity of his disciples is so great that his mere saying that he is not the Christ, that they should follow our Lord, will not be sufficient. And so he takes two of his disciples, according to many, these were men who were amenable, open-minded. They appear before our Lord and ask him the question that John delegated to, to ask. Notice the delicacy of our Lord. He does not say, yes, I am. I am the Christ. No. Report to John what you have seen. Miracles. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. All of this is a reference to a messianic prophecy contained in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. Book of Isaiah, chapter 35, announces that the one who is to come, the Christ, will work these signs and wonders. Remember that our Lord, during his public ministry, worked all kinds of signs and told the Jewish people that their leaders and the Pharisees were guilty of sin because if I had not come and performed signs and miracles that no man had ever done, they would not have sinned. But they have seen me and they have seen my signs and so they are guilty of sin. He said on other occasions, if you do not believe me, believe these signs that I perform for you. Our Lord then concludes, saying, Blessed is he who is not scandalized in me. And this, of course, has a reference to his passion and to his death. The miracles that he performs 
are certainly signs that he comes from God. But the passion and the death of the Son of God is a stumbling block both for the Gentiles represented by the Greeks as well as by the Jews. John the Baptist, who is now in prison, is unshaken in his conviction. And John the Baptist is praised by Christ after his disciples depart. Our Lord will not praise John the Baptist in their presence because he is giving us an example. If we praise people who are unworthy, they will be flattered. If we praise them when they are worthy, they will be embarrassed. He will not embarrass John the Baptist, and he will flatter no man. But he points out the greatness of John the Baptist. He is one who has not been enticed by the good things of this world. He does not wear fine clothes, and certainly he does not care for political correctness. His one aim is always to do the will of God. And now he is suffering in prison because of his fidelity to the word of God. Christ calls him the angel sent before his face. And this is a reference to the Old Testament prophecy contained in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. I will send my angel before your face. And Christ is identifying that angel, the one who prepares the path for him with John the Baptist. We are now in the holy season of Advent, a time which means coming. And during this time, according to St. Bernard, we recall the past coming of Christ. We recall the preparation of 4,000 years for that manifestation of our Lord in this world, when he came poor and humble and weak as a child. There will be a second coming, when at the end of time, our Lord will come in great power and majesty to judge the living and to judge the dead. The church in the gospel last week pointed to this dreadful second coming of Christ. And she did so in order to prepare us for the celebration of Christmas. We should tremble when we realize that we will be judged for all of us, as St. Paul says, will stand before the judgment seat of God. The author of the imitation of Christ encourages us to face this fact. When we stand before that just judge, he will take no bribes, he will accept no excuses, and nothing will be hidden from his eyes. If we frequently in this world reflect upon what lies in store for us once death appears, then we will prepare ourselves most adequately for the coming of Christ in glory. Our Lord tells us that in order to save our souls, we must make our way 
by the narrow path. For he tells us how wide is the road and how wide is the gate that leads to everlasting perdition and how many there are that go in that direction. But how narrow is the road and how narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life and how few there are that find it. Beware when men do not tell you or men cloud before you the final judgment, the reality of hell and the reality of sin because this contradicts the words of Christ who told us that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the light. Christ manifested what is necessary for eternal salvation by his death on the cross. And so his great predecessor, his forerunner, John the Baptist, manifest to us by his penitential life, by his unswerving fidelity, what is necessary for all of us. It is good for us to think about it, for we realize that we fall short of the mark. And because we fall short of the mark, what must we do? Pray. Pray. All things can be yours through prayer. Final perseverance will be given to anyone, provided that he prays humbly, that he, prepare, that he prays constantly, that he prays with devotion. God will grant to him the grace that is necessary for his eternal salvation. God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.